And particularly if you sleep poorly, make sure seven days a week you get up at the same time and keep that steady. Even if you had a rotten night and only fell asleep an hour before and now could lie in, no, don't do it. Do get up. It will normalize over the next few days. But to keep that one steady is number one. Welcome to Forever Young, the health and well-being podcast from Lanzerhof. My name is Mario Pedazzoli, and in every episode, join me in conversation with a variety of health experts and special guests as we explore what it means to live well. We may not find the secret to eternal youth, but join me on our quest as we explore just what it means to live a balanced, healthy and happy life. Hello again, Happy New Year and welcome back to Forever Young. Well, with each new year comes new health and wellness goals. We pledge to exercise more, to eat well, and there's dry January of course, but there is one pillar of our overall health and well-being that is often overlooked, namely the quality of our sleep. And sleep is a life necessity that affects all of us. Maintaining a regular sleep schedule and allowing our body and mind to recover each day is of course essential, not only for our well-being, but also for our longevity. That said, unfortunately, one in three of UK adults suffer from poor sleep with work-life stress and digital devices more often than not the root cause of the problem. And so to help us delve deeper, we are delighted to introduce Lanzhoff at the Arts Club's consultant neurologist and sleep disorder specialist, Dr. Oliver Bernath. Dr. Bernath holds US board certifications in neurology, neurophysiology and sleep medicine and is on the General Medical Council Specialist Register. He led the Northern California Sleep Disorder Center at Kaiser Permanente in San Francisco, and now sees patients at the NHS Sleep Clinic at Guy's Hospital, as well as holding a weekly clinic here at Lanzerhof at the Arts Club. Dr. Bernath is also a partner at PwC in Strategy and Healthcare, and leads the Health Analytics Group in Consulting. Oliver, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Mario. Great to be here. Certainly is, and uh, we've got lots to talk about today. Uh, well, first things first, how did you sleep last night? <laughs> I slept very well, thanks for asking. Good. So, um, well, maybe in your own words, uh, start with, please define what you would consider to be healthy sleep, and why, in fact, do we need our sleep at all? Thank you, Mary. Let me start with the second part of the question first so yes. why do we need sleep in the first place mm. now first of all as you said sleep is a biological fundamental function so chronic sleep deprivation if you completely sleep deprive a, a test animal uh, then the animal would die after a few weeks so it's as essential as eating or breathing it just takes longer to have problems with so to speak mm. um, what exactly the function of sleep is is still under research it's increasingly clear that it's a brain function um, and fundamentally, it is how do you program a computer when you don't have access to any input devices, so to speak. So it's a self-programming machine that needs to have an off time when it can control inputs rather than being bombarded by sensory inputs while you are awake uh, to re-establish neural networks to decide what to remember, what to forget and how to reorganize itself every night. And therefore, any lack of sleep then causes problems exactly with functions that come out. But basically, it's a fundamental uh, brain function to, to sleep. Um, what is healthy sleep? Now, generally speaking, for an adult, the biggest part is obviously how long we sleep. Mm -hmm. And that the recommendation is between seven and nine hours. Uh, again, some people need a bit less, some people a bit more. But mm -hmm. when people say, oh, I get away with five hours sleep, then they're usually 
are bragging or mm. they don't realize that they actually do have detrimental effects already. Mm. Uh, so it's fairly narrow around the eight hours how much sleep one does need in a 24-hour period. Mm. Healthy sleep is if you feel refreshed the next day and, and you do function well, then obviously you seem to be getting enough. Um, it is normal or acceptable to wake up a couple of times during the night. That's actually a normal part of sleep, of sleep cycling, as long as one falls asleep back fairly quickly again, then that, that, that's okay. Mm. Okay. Uh, well, thank you for that. Do you feel we take sleep for granted? I mean, given how important it is, and uh, as you've just stated and set out, um, I think there might be uh, a tendency to take it for granted. Uh, yes, although I have to say it's getting a bit better. So when I started my interest in sleep and sleep medicine as a medical student, um, nobody even thought about it. Mm. There was no sleep clinic really around, and, and it was still a sign of being a tough guy, uh, you know, high performance if I get away with five hours sleep, and that's mm. how much I need, and people thought it was a good thing. Mm. So that, I think, in the public opinion overall, in general, awareness has changed. So I see lots of publications and daily newspapers even about sleep, which is has certain changed in the last five to ten years mm. so i wouldn't say necessarily taking for granted but probably still under prioritized yes as and to a, a big extent that's due to stresses of life and demands right you have to work you have to then travel and then there's often now with covid less so but mm. uh, commuting back and forth from work and if you then want to adhere to your um, new year's resolution to do exercise more when mm. do you do that mm. uh, and then you have a bit of family time as well and the only thing that you can compress relatively easily is sleep and all of a sudden you find that on average you only sleep six hours of sleep and you think that's okay yes but sleep deprivation the symptoms then also come gradually upon you so mm. if you sleep six hours the next day you're fine if you again sleep six hours the next day you're also fine but by the weekend you're pretty tired mm. And so that the milder, the subtler changes, like becoming more irritable or concentrating less, uh, having a harder time remembering new things, these are quite subtle things that creep up on people mm. so that the symptoms are not like, you know, something dramatic, like a huge headache or something that would alert you. Mm. So therefore, I think the main risk is that we accept chronic sleep deprivation at a societal level rather than making sure that you do get enough sleep and recognizing that actually you perform much better in the time that you are awake if you had proper sleep. Mm. Uh, well, there the, are a lot of things you refer to there that are so true. First of all, uh, it seems that it is now correctly considered as, as one of the fundamental pillars of, of health and well-being, whereas probably in the past it wasn't the case. And it was in an easy way to gain a couple of hours, just deprive yourself of that sleep to catch up on everything, all the other pressures of life. Absolutely. And people thought they can train themselves to be a six-hour sleeper or five-hour sleeper, mm. and that this is a matter of discipline, uh, which it is not. Uh, the second um, misconception is uh, about chronotype. So there are morning types and evening types. Uh, and that's not a preference and a personal choice. It's not that I'm lazy that I get up late in the morning and work mm. late at night, but that's a genetically encoded pattern. Mm. So trying to fight that is a struggle all life long. One can do with melatonin mm -hmm. and bright light to force oneself to be a different chronotype from yes. naturally what one is. But it is not, it's not, uh, not being lazy or anything like that. It's just uh, how the genetics uh, have evolved. Um, the theory behind chronotypes is that when we were Neanderthal groups of humans in, in the olden days, 
uh, when predators were around and obviously it would be dangerous if the whole group of humans slept all at the same time. So it was better to have some people early up and the other ones late uh -huh. so that the time that everybody is asleep is minimized and thereby it's a genetically encoded uh, trend that also exists in animals. And that's again something that's often misunderstood. In particular, evening types have a hard time in jobs that start early in the morning and then every time the person comes and is quite sluggish and may not be at the peak performance early in the morning. People think the person is lazy or just not performing well or I something, see. but it's just against the person's chronotype. So, so the sooner we understand our own personal genetic sleep code, if you like, the, 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 the sooner we can do something about it and, Absolutely. and, and adapt our lifestyles accordingly. And progressive employers do recognize that. And I think sort of the... Um, that everybody has to be at an important meeting or a conference call at eight in the morning is recognized that for some people that doesn't work all that well. Mm. Uh, it might, of course, be a challenge to if there's a conference call across time zones, right? Mm. There might not be much choice. If you have Singapore, London and San Francisco on a call, there are very few hours mm. that are convenient for everybody. So that's to be recognized. But as much as one has freedom to structure one's day, one is well served knowing one's chronotype and prioritize important things at the time one has peak performance. Yes. And that is for us in our regular works and, and so on, but in particular for performance athletes. That's, that's the difference between a gold medal and being the fourth. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, so there are a lot of people listening to this that can already relate to everything you've just said. Um, and we, how do you help, uh, Dr. Bernath, in your work when you see a, a patient with typical sleep disorders or challenges, um, how do you go about assessing and, and, and what comes out maybe at the other side? Sure. So there are, in principle, three reasons why people see me. One is either they are tired all day long and just wonder whether what's wrong, why they're always tired. Or the other ones that uh, can't sleep through the night and struggle with sleeping. Mm. And the third group is that they want to either optimize the sleep or have recognized, like I just mentioned, uh, performance athletes, that it's very important to get the sleep pattern right and optimize it. So these are people that are healthy but want to just make sure that they get the best out of sleep and, and manage it better. Mm. If it is somebody who is tired all the time, there's, uh, first of all, a good history as to how much sleep does a person actually get. Um, that can be done by a sleep diary, but we also use um, actigraphy. That's a, a medical de medical level uh, device, Ura ring or, or, net, or Fitbit, uh, um, that tracks sleep over a couple of weeks so we can actually objectively measure how long a person sleeps and what the sleep-wake rhythm actually is. Uh, and then we also look for a medical conditions like low thyroid hormone for it would be a classic one but others potentially as well metabolic diseases diabetes for example could present with just tiredness but then also more specific sleep disorders uh, big ones would be obstructive sleep apnea in somebody mm -hmm. who snores or maybe less known or less obvious to spot would period periodic limb movements in sleep that manifests itself as restless leg syndrome mm -hmm. uh, all these can interfere with the quality of sleep despite somebody may sleeping eight hours it may just not be quality sleep and they're therefore tired mm. and then there are some more specific sleep disorders like a narcolepsy and sort of slightly rarer things but those would be all assessed if somebody struggles with sleeping with insomnia um, again first would be to understand what actually the real sleep pattern is over a couple of weeks period and to measure that and then to see whether it is again medical problems that keep a person up or is it 
um, psychological issues, stresses of life that sometimes become almost like a learned behavior. Mm. So all of us have periods in, time in, in, in our lives where we can't f fall asleep because we worry about something or the other, and that usually goes away. But if a pattern establishes itself that the sleep now becomes the worrying thing, yes, uh, then it becomes its own problem. And then, of course, the closer bedtime comes, the more worried we get, the more alert we get. And guess what? Mm. Of course, sleep doesn't come. And that's the vicious circle that's the that vicious leads circle. to insomnia. Absolutely. And that can chronically be maintained for many, many years to come unless you do something actively about it. So you have to basically unlearn that, and that's sort of a, a bigger treatment program, uh, how, to, how to do that. Um, so that would be covering broadly the, the, the three types of, mm. of conditions. And mm. again, uh, if, if it's a for performance, either athletes or people in a job that requires them to travel across time zones or interact with people across time zones, um, how to how to optimize sleep patterns and what you can do proactively to be at peak performance at the time that's required when you are at the Olympics or somewhere. Yes. Um, so, for example, Usain Bolt was famously interviewed and asked what was a common factor in the peak sports achievements over the last 25 years, and he, without even thinking about it twice, said sleep. So he sleeps about uh, 10 to 11 hours a night. Roger Federer is famous for sleeping 11 to 12 hours a night. Mm. And before a race, Usain Bolt uh, goes to sleep. So some athletes have recognized that. I think that. famously, I think in Beijing, uh, he did sleep within two hours of the race. Absolutely, uh, yes. And if you think that a single night of getting two hours less sleep costs you 5% of your peak performance in a 100-meter race, that's the difference between a gold medal and being in the midfield. So these two hours of sleep would be well invested. So, so those are great examples of, of people at the top of their game that sleep for 10 to 12 hours a day. Um, but then I suppose in your work, you've had to battle that corporate macho culture as well. And even Margaret Thatcher famously uh, worked yeah. on four hours sleep a day, but probably wasn't helpful with, with your cause and, and the work yeah. that you do. I mean, there are some rare people that do sleep significantly less. That's true. Albert Schweitzer would be another famous example. Um, whether they really slept only that little or just bragged about it because that was, again, sort of the macho culture, if you so wish, I don't know. And the first symptoms of too little sleep is uh, getting irritable and grouchy. Now, some people may say that Margaret Thatcher might have been a more pleasant person to be with if she had slept. Ah, more. It all makes sense now. <laughs> yeah, now yeah. it makes sense. <laughs> I see. And, and the other thing you mentioned, uh, maybe we should talk about that. You talked about wearables and, and uh, sleep tracking. Um, how accurate are they? Um, how useful are they? And, um, and then the other part that maybe leads on from that is the anxiety. So, so insomnia and the vicious circle that we spoke about, wearing a, a tracker can also lead to that anxiety yeah, as exactly. well. So there's, there's another vicious circle. Maybe let, let's talk about yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. So there are ups and downs, uh, downsides to both. So first of all, your question of, about accuracy. So the devices that are out there, Fitbit, Garmin, uh, Oura Ring and others, have improved significantly over the last few years in terms of accuracy. Now, one can ask, how on earth can a device like that know whether I'm in REM sleep or deep sleep because mm -hmm. there's no electrodes on the scalp that would measure brain waves? Um, but now, through artificial intelligence, um, patterns of pulse rate and variability and so on um, can demonstrate that and correlate very well. They are pretty precise in terms of being consistent in the same individual over time. Mm -hmm. They're not quite as precise when you compare between individuals. So for example, uh, some devices 
typically overread REM sleep and give that a too high a value. Others, the opposite, may overestimate slow wave sleep. But for the same person, if slow wave sleep decreases or increases, that's fairly reliable. So it's not so great on the absolute number, but on the trend, they're pretty good. Mm -hmm. That's why I typically start with a medical grade um, actigraph. Um, that's not as snazzy looking, a bit clumsy looking, but nevertheless, it's a bit more precise. And then one can cross correlate that with an, a wearable device if a person has that or intends to use them for longer. Obviously, also the typically wearable devices are not um, certified as a medical device. So for diagnostic purposes, you couldn't use them. But in terms of for tracking, yes, I do think they're pretty good. Now. Second part of the question is, what's the point of tracking it, mm -hmm. right? So what do you do? Oh, my, my REM sleep is only 20%. Oh, yeah, well, what do you do about it? Mm -hmm. And it's, of course, much more dependent on how much you slept last night. So mm -hmm. if you have a night of little sleep, then the next night you will have more slow-wave sleep as a catch-up sleep and less REM sleep. And that will normalize again over time. Mm -hmm. um, and the other part is, obviously, if you then worry every morning, oh, I only slept five hours, the next night I have to sleep even better to catch up, and then you, you fuel your own anxiety, then, of course, best to stop it. Mm -hmm. But if you want to see whether you make progress on something, or if you want to track your sleep pattern, in particular for higher performance, or, or planning your sleep ahead of time, then it is very useful. And if it's a general part of measuring your own performance and health, I think it's generally a good thing, as long as it's not anxiety-provoking. Mm -hmm. Now... In some patients, even the anxious uh, patients, it can help because some people underestimate how long they actually sleep. And that's why I keep a, have asked patients to keep a sleep diary as well as measuring the sleep objectively. Mm. Because, because some people think they slept, didn't sleep at all. Doctor, I haven't slept in four months. I know for sure that's not the case because they wouldn't be here anymore. Um, so many people have a misperception. It's actually a diagnostic code, a sleep stage misperception. And so with the device, you could see that actually you did sleep for five, six hours when you, you thought you didn't. Because how would you know? If you lie in bed in a darkened room and stare at the ceiling, how do you know that you didn't doze off a little bit? Mm. And so in those cases, it can be helpful to... to um, uh, reassure the patients that they do get a decent amount of sleep but you're right one has to be careful if it becomes anxiety provoking self-measurement and it's counterproductive mm -hmm. you should stop mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. and uh well this particular question uh, so so we have a listener uh, one of our members who I've, i i saw this morning he's a keen listener of this podcast and um in the conversation uh we did say that we're discussing sleep today and uh, and i think you've answered this he he was keen to know hello ade by the way uh, he was keen to know the optimum number of hours of sleep you've said between seven and nine but i guess the follow-on question is uh, is that age dependent uh, does gender play a part um, do hormones play a part and does lifestyle play a part as well as your genetic coding yeah um so ideal eight hours for adults yes uh, seven to nine uh, when people consistently sleep, sleep more than nine hours, then there's usually a, some underlying problem. If they sleep less than seven, then typically sleep deprivation starts piling up on people. Um, it is different uh, over life. Uh, so an infant sleeps 14 to 16 hours, and then uh, you know, a teenager should, should still get 10 hours. So it's quite okay for a teenager to sleep in on Sunday mornings. So mm. we don't, it's not a, the lazy, uh, lazy teenager. But um, pretty soon at adult life it comes to about eight hours on average in people over 65 years of age it may be a half an hour less but not more than that it's not that older people don't need much sleep they typically can't sleep as well uh -huh. um, so so if it's less than seven hours then it's usually an issue now again some people may get away with six but it's fairly rare mm. uh, gender doesn't play a difference um 
lifestyle or life cycles in women, hormonal cycles, of course, um, change a little bit how well people fall asleep and how well they sleep, but it doesn't change the sleep need. Um, mm. They just may have times where they just sleep less well. Mm. Uh, other than that, it doesn't really change during life any more than that. Mm. Also, in terms of lifestyle or what can you do about it, uh, of course, exercise or being physically active and so on, uh, getting enough outside light exposure is all good for maintaining the 24-hour rhythm mm. and thereby helps good quality sleep, mm. but it doesn't reduce the sleep need. So you can't train yourself to get more out of six hours or compress your sleep somehow and, and make it more productive or efficient in a shorter time. That, mm. that typically doesn't work. Mm. And um, maybe let's talk about the lifestyle choices that we all make every day that can affect sleep. I think how we eat, what we eat, how we drink, what we drink, um, work stress as well. Uh, and, and I guess we're talking about a Western lifestyle typically there, um, which is detrimental, I suppose, to quality of sleep, or can be. Can be, sure. Yeah, there are certain new uh, factors in particular, as you mentioned much earlier, is, is electronic devices in the evening. Now, the first thing is to prioritize sleep, take it seriously. Now, mm. people take now nutrition and exercise probably a bit more seriously than they did 10, 20 years ago, but mm -hmm. guess what? Sleep is just right up there. Mm -hmm. um, so to make sure that in your daily planning and weekly planning, sleep does feature and it's not just sort of, it fits in between everything else. In order to regulate sleep, in particular if you have sleeping difficulties, the most important part is to keep the wake-up time steady. We all, in particular, if you are parents, we all focus on the going to bed time mm. because, you know, children have to be bed in bed at a certain time and so on. But what actually sets the 24-hour rhythm is the waking up in the morning and the exposure to bright light in the morning. Going to bed is a consequence thereof. In particular, if you sleep poorly, make sure seven days a week you get up at the same time and keep that steady. Even if you had a rotten night and only fell asleep an hour before and now could lie in, no, don't do it. Do get up. It will normalize over the next few days. Mm -hmm. But to keep that one steady is number one. The other part is uh, have exposure to bright light during the day. Now that's nice in summer in England, but not so nice in winter. Mm. Uh, and some people also find that they get depressed over winter. Um, so there are light boxes um, called sad lamps, seasonal affective See, disorder yes. lamps. Yes. They have a sort of daylight light spectrum that is sufficient brightness. So the regular light in, a, in an office is usually not do, enough. Do you endorse those? Yes, absolutely. They, yeah. they do work. Yes, absolutely. Either for a mood, but also to set the, the clock so you need to take them, have them on in the morning when you get up. So I think they're very good. Um, Physical exercise is a big one, so you should certainly get outside to do your whatever. I don't know whether 10,000 steps is the right number, but um, mm. do something at a half an hour, a bit more exercise. Uh, if you have the luxury of being a member in the club that has a fantastic facilities and obviously even better. Um, but build that in and don't sacrifice that. And then the other part is um, light in the evening. And now, obviously, you want to stop that. Our natural... Uh, rhythm is that the brain produces melatonin when the sun goes down mm -hmm. it's the hormone of darkness and that will trigger a sleep need but if you have light like computer screens, uh, iPhones uh, iPads and read that late in the evening or even in bed uh, that suppresses melatonin production and one of the big factors that make you have healthy sleep would be disturbed and go away so um, one should at least an hour, ideally two hours before bedtime avoid bright light exposure uh, in particular sort of backlit computer screens what they term blue light is that, is that the blue and thing? green light is more effective in suppressing melatonin than other light but if it's bright enough then any light would do mm. but you're right blue and green in particular 
That's why most computers nowadays have a sleep setting where the computer color on the screen will change to a more orangey um, uh, hues to, to be less um, um, melatonin suppressant, but also the intensity should, uh, should go down. But then another part, of course, is when you work on your computer, you typically do something that's mentally stimulating rather than winding down. Yes. Right? So, so you should plan a little bit of wind down time uh, before, before going to bed. But again, prioritize sleep. So if you know that you want to get up at whatever the time is, 7 o'clock, then uh, make sure that you are in bed by 11 mm. and ideally a little bit beforehand. Um, the other part is then, of course, some people are sensitive to impacts of food or caffeine and the like. Mm. Um, there, I have to say, it's probably more individual differences. Some people do quite well, even with the coffee later in the evening, but one can measure the impact of on sleep nevertheless, even if a person does think they sleep well. So I would certainly advise after coffee evening mm. uh, after sorry uh, tea time in the afternoon not to have more caffeinated drinks mm. um, food probably not too close to bedtime but um, also not to be too hungry so depends a little bit what you eat ideal would be easily digestible proteins like um, a fish or something mm. uh, because that has uh, enough um, uh, nutrition in it that keeps you sated for a few hours rather than something high carbon loaded after carbon sorry carbohydrate loaded within a very short time makes you hungry again and you wake up in the middle of the night uh, starving uh, so so when, if that's an issue then, then we'll just discuss it in more detail but it does affect it quite a bit yes mm -hmm. and uh, yes you, you mentioned sufficient wind down time but it's easier said than done I suppose for a lot of people and and workplace stress um, family related stress organizing the family children and so on uh, plus work it, uh, it all chips away um, what is your best advice for that or is it just being aware is already good enough as a starting point being aware is a good starting point but probably in many situations not good enough um, so one has to recognize that allowing work to compromise family and sleep time will backfire Mm -hmm. performance will be worse there's a higher risk of burnout and sooner or later it will catch up with people uh, either um, the consequences of long-term sleep deprivation come in or if you neglect family life and personal matters then that causes its own problems that mm -hmm. then all of a sudden become much bigger and then you know so one has to be one has to think of uh, also work and life balance not as a sprint but more like a marathon mm -hmm. and think in several years perspective rather than just you know, achieving the target today and tomorrow. Again, mm -hmm. easier said than done, but I think that's sort of common life's wisdom. And uh, one of the early alarm signs quite often is sleep. If you do something wrong with your lifestyle yeah. that you may want to reconsider. Mm -hmm. So it's probably not a sleep-specific issue, but it is balance your life between work, try to compartmentalize it away from private time and mm -hmm. also leisure. Uh, we know that people that um, pick up a, a, a new skill um, do much better in their regular work. So there's, it's never too late to start learning, I don't know, piano playing or French or something. Mm. Uh, and even though it may sound like a waste of time, or I spend now half an hour learning my French vocabulary or something, but actually the benefit that, that we have from a more balanced life uh, is, there are many studies out there, I'm not making it up, um, do improve one's performance in work as well. So it's an investment in one's own performance on many levels. And sleep is one of the signs you know, it's just the alarm alarm of it. If you sleep poorly, you might might well have to think about wider things. 
and a perfect time of year to remind us all about work-life balance with uh, New Year's resolutions in the year. What about the those that unfortunately and out of necessity have to work uh, through the night on night shifts? It could be IT, but all manner of, of night-based work. Um, is there hope? <laughs> and, and how do they mitigate that? Yeah. Shift work, obviously, a big topic in, uh, in sleep medicine. The truth is, if you work all night and sleep then during the day, it's not the same as having slept at night because it's not just wake and sleep, but uh, lots of other things that have a circadian rhythm, like hormone secretions and all the rest of it. And if they're out of sync, um, it, just shifting your day and light at time doesn't actually do it completely justice. With a bright light and melatonin and so on can help shift some of these other rhythms as well. Um, but uh, it, is, it remains a challenge and long-term shift work is uh, detrimental to health. There's no way about it. Mm. Uh, even worse is if it keeps changing all the time because then there you have no chance of establishing a fresh rhythm. So it's much better to be on night shifts for a certain length of time and then again on day shifts or so on mm. uh, rather than um, the swing shifts that gave one day after, uh, different from the other. But uh, it, it is just a fact that long-term shift work is uh, detrimental to health. Uh, and um, at what point, what are the triggers, Oliver? What, what, at what point should someone seek professional help? So the red flag symptoms are either being tired during the daytime, despite the fact of having slept a reasonable amount, and that persists. So then there might be, as I said, an underlying condition like low thyroid hormone, diabetes, or sleep disorder where the sleep quality is poor. Mm. Having a bed partner that says one snores loudly and stops breathing during the nighttime, that would be a big, big red flag. Mm. Or things like restless legs where you can't fall asleep because your, your legs feel uncomfortable, mm. or, or your bed partner reports that you keep kicking throughout the night. So fundamentally, tiredness during the day if it persists is, is a good one. The other one, of course, is uh, if one can't fall asleep or sleep through the night uh, to the degree that one is sleep deprived and tired the next day. That mm. would be another one, in particular if it doesn't go away after a few months. We all have periods in life where that happens, but it's usually quite short and self-limiting. But if it persists, and in particular if you have to take sleeping medication, certainly is a, is a reason to seek help. Mm. Uh, or then if you have, as, as you said, a challenging lifestyle where the schedule is complicated to deal with uh, and you have peak performance at certain times that are required and you want maybe to talk about how you can plan and optimize it rather than treat mm. it as a condition if you so will mm. so the optimization of sleep is a big one as well mm. and, and no two patients are the same clearly uh, um, but let's say these are the red flags and, and they then come to see you Dr. Benath um, what would you expect you know in terms of a period of time um, you talked about unlearning behaviors depending on the severity but um, what period of time do you feel you need and the, the patient would need to, to, to write the, the problems that they're experiencing? Yeah, so again, first of all, it would be a, a careful medical assessment. So if you don't find somebody has diabetes or low thyroid hormones, and obviously that's a different uh, story and the person needs adequate medical care for that and uh, sleep will normalize as a consequence thereof. Uh, and how fast that is depends on what the condition is, of course. If it is something like obstructive sleep apnea, again, uh, we would do a diagnostic test and then treat it. So that goes very fast. Mm. Uh, and then one can see what other things one can do in terms of muscle exercises of the jaw and throat muscles to improve that. That can take a bit longer, of course, but one can address the medical issue fairly fast. So that's, you know, within a week or two weeks or something, one can, can usually sort it out. Mm. Insomnia, the... 
um, depends a little bit how chronic it is. If somebody has poor sleep for the last 40 years, then it's unlikely that within a month we have it fixed. Mm. Uh, so then it becomes a bit a longer time. But I would, I would have in mind sort of a two, three months period over which one can address quite a lot. Mm. Uh, it may not be yet normalized and completely perfect, but there should be a significant improvement in that type of time scale. Mm. And um, for those that do wake in the night, what are the simple measures that we can take? Because some, some of us might wake once a, a work-related or family-related issue comes into our mind. It can yeah. take often a very long time to, to fall back to sleep. So yeah. what are the simple measures we can take, Dr. Benath, or is it? I think the first one is to be aware that waking up is not abnormal. Mm. Uh, we typically wake up uh, after a completion of a sleep cycle of deep sleep and dreaming sleep. Again, when we're in Neanderthals, the sleep cycle takes sort of 90 minutes to maybe two hours. Then it was time to look around whether the saber-toothed tiger has shown up or not and whether you have the luxury of another sleep cycle. So it's mm -hmm. normal to wake up briefly. And when I put electrodes on people's scalps and measure their brain waves, and I can show to them that they woke up last night, although they said, tell me in the morning they slept like a log. So if the awakening is so brief that there's nothing interesting happens for a couple of minutes, then we forget about it. Mm -hmm. So the waking up is normal. The not falling back to sleep is the abnormal part. But just knowing that it is normal to wake up and it's okay gives people already a lot of reassurance mm -hmm. that by itself helps some. Then there are, of course, things, why did you wake up in the first place? The full bladder is a typical one. Well, then drink less in the evening would be, a, would be an easy one to do. So mm -hmm. if you then, if you are... Depending on valerian root tea, well, then try the extract pill or something that's less <laughs> liquid, right? Um, so sometimes quite simple things. Also, in many cases, I find that the bedrooms are too warm at night. Our body temperature drops by about a couple degrees at night. And so that's why we throw off the blanket or stick out a leg at the side or something. So make sure that the bedroom is actually cool. It might be comfy to fall asleep in a, in a snugly warm blanket, but during the night, the bedroom has to be cool. Then other factors that can, of course, wake people up is uh, ambient noise. Uh, does the traffic start at a certain time? Um, is mm. the bed too small to sleep with a bed partner? Thereby you bump against each other all the time. So things like that, uh, sort of quite practical ones. If it is that the mind keeps racing once you're up, then, of course, when that happens middle of the night, you are not as resilient because you're not fully aware, uh, alert to have your rational calming it down because you're sort of in a half a daze and the mind is just spinning and you're not really in control of what you're thinking mm -hmm. and so on. For that, then um, cognitive behavioral therapy is a good thing to learn techniques, how to calm that down, down, uh, down and relax about it. And there are very good programs either online or with a therapist that can help with that. Mm -hmm. Another one is sort of changing one's attitude. Instead of waking up and saying, oh my God, damn, I'm awake again, a horrible night. One can say, oh, this is great. I can enjoy the comfortable, mm. cuddly feeling of falling asleep again. Embrace it. Embrace it, exactly. Mm. Yeah, mm. that's nice. Oh, it's only four o'clock in the morning. Great. I don't have to be up yet. Yes. Uh, I have another couple of hours and then uh, enjoy the falling asleep again. And some people have a keep a notebook by their bedside. Do you, do you advise that, to write down anything that's on your mind? And it does help you so fall that, back to sleep? So two things can be very effective. One is one can say, okay, I wake up because of the task list flashes up in my mm. mind. I, need, I mustn't forget to do this or the other. And if you write it down, it of course gives you the assurance that it doesn't get forgotten and you do it. That's mm. great. Also, if it's particular worries that you can write down, for some people you can compartmentalize it that way. Mm. The other one is that sometimes people wake up with great ideas um, because in REM sleep, the brain connects different areas of the brain that don't typically talk to each other and fresh idea, creative things can happen. 
And so, of course, you want to remember those. Famously, um, uh, our, the, the greatest inventor in history, Edison, um, used that trick that he found a way of waking himself up out of REM sleep and then writing down for the next two minutes whatever came to his mind. Mm. Um, now, typically, most of that will obviously be and have nonsense, but it mm. was certainly enough good stuff for him to for yes. found the company that became, for at least some <laughs> period of time, the biggest company in the world. Right? Yes, so, yes. So it seemed to help. Wasn't there a technique, I think it was... Um, Certainly Picasso was one where he would take a, an afternoon nap uh, but then and, and hold um, a knife or fork in his hand. And when yeah. that hit the floor, he would wake up. He yeah. would wake up and that would, he would be at his most creative at that point. Yeah, exactly. That's the same that uh, Ed, Edison did. So Edison is famous as a short sleeper, but they only talk about the nighttime sleep. They don't say that he was a frequent napper. So that his total sleep time in the in a 24-hour period was still eight to nine hours rather than the five at night. But he took frequent naps. With the same trick, some, some, he held something in his hand that in REM sleep, when our muscles get completely paralyzed and relaxed, would then drop to the floor and that he had some metal thing on the floor that make a noise to wake him up and then mm-hmm. he would write down things. Yeah. And, and, and are you an advocate of the, the power nap in the afternoon? In principle, yes. Uh, again, so if you look a bit more widely, most cultures, in particular in warm countries, had a siesta at some point in their, in their history. Of course, too warm to work and it's just... Uh, interrupted and we all get our post lunch fatigue which actually mm. also happens without having had any food so it's mm. aggravated by food but not really triggered by food so there's nothing wrong with a nap in principle however uh, don't have it too long because if you fall into a deep sleep phase and a dreaming sleep phase then either you should sleep two hours uh, but if you so wake up halfway in between and some people get quite groggy and then they're worse off than before than, than uh, after this aborted nap than beforehand and of course you can't expect them to still sleep eight hours at night and then spend too much like my mm. grandmother said oh Oliver I don't sleep so well anymore um, up half night and I go with her to her so when do you go, go to bed oh at nine o'clock right when you get up mm, in the morning at eight so how many hours and then you have got a late morning nap and an early afternoon nap and an early evening nap so how many hours do you want to sleep right so it's sometimes quite obvious that then people sleep too much but generally speaking there's nothing wrong with naps, but it's more of an individual choice as well. I knew, I know people that nap very well and fall asleep quickly and then are refreshed, and others take a long time to fall asleep and afterwards find they're groggy and it's, it's not for them. Mm. But in, in principle, uh, I think uh, naps are beneficial. Mm-hmm. And uh, as we said at the top of the show, you, you have a weekly clinic here with us at Lanzerhof at the Arts Club. And uh, in fact, next Monday the 17th, you have your uh, workshop, Healthy Sleep, uh, with the grand title, The Final Frontier in Wellness and Performance. Uh, I'm not sure if we came up with that or you did, but it's a very grand title. <laughs> yeah. Um, would you like to tell us a little bit about what you'll be covering at that in that workshop? Yeah, so um, I will cover again sort of why do we sleep, what's the fundamentals of sleep, science a little bit. Uh, then what again is healthy sleep, what to look out for, what are the signs of sleep deprivation and uh, again, a little bit to watch out for that one recognizes that because the, the sneakiest part of sleep of not getting enough sleep is uh, that the symptoms sort of creep up on people it may not be quite obvious uh, then we go through again the sort of the um, red flags when you should seek, seek help what can be done about it uh, and then have plenty of time for questions and answers for people that are present to uh, have a have a good discussion wonderful well that uh, for anyone listening that is interested uh, to attend the workshop or indeed uh, to make an appointment to see Dr. Bernath, 
uh, please email lanzerhoff at theartsclub.co.uk. Uh, the workshop uh, is next Monday the 17th from 6 till 7.30 p.m., I believe. Um, Dr. Benath, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I think uh, a lot of that chimed with not only myself but everyone listening. And um, we should all be taking the steps that you advise, of course. And uh, thank you for your wisdom. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. I'm looking forward to meeting you on Monday. Yes, indeed. Okay. Thank you very much, Dr. Benath. Bye.